RadioInfluence.com. Welcome in to a new episode of the MA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd. That is Daniel Galvan. If you're watching us here on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're not subscribed to the channel, do that as well. We've got a lot of great content for you each and every week. Uh, if you go over to the uh, channel right now, along with the podcast, you can check out my interview with Julian Arosa, who fights on Saturday, take on Alex Aceris. Plus, got some interviews up there for Unified MMA this weekend. Of course, they got a, a doubleheader of action. So if you're a UFC Fight Pass subscriber, uh, Unified's got a fight card on Friday and on Saturday. Shane Campbell in the main event of the Friday show. I think a lot of people remember him. He's fighting for the super lightweight title. It's 165 pounds. And on Saturday, Ty Flores, contender series vet, he's going for the light heavyweight tile so you can check out those interviews but if you listen to this on the podcast jails you know rate review that does help us out a lot as well you know daniel um you know you like to say on here every week something crazy is going to happen in this sport and unfortunately we were i think kind of hoping maybe we walk into this week and maybe the storyline would be about i don't know the actual fighters in the cage not someone sitting cage side yeah yeah but you know what it's like uh it's an evergreen topic you could just put a blindfold on and put a calendar here and throw a dart. And there's a good chance we're talking about some crappy judging. And by God, you know, back in the day, if you're a professional wrestling fan, Ric Flair would be the traveling world champion. He'd be in Texas one night going up against the Bon Erics. And then he'd go up to New York another night. Well, we've got Douglas Crosby, the world traveling judge, just ruining uh, uh, judges' decisions day in, day out. If you know he's at Bellator, throwing in a 50 45 for Danny Sabatello, then he, he comes in and uh, I guess he's not a big fan of the MA hour as uh, he awards that decision to Patty Pimblett. Unfortunately, that one was um, significant as Patty actually won that fight. So, yeah, Jason, we got to talk about old Douglas Crosby. So on Friday, I land in San Jose and basically as I land is essentially right as they're, they're queuing up the main event. So I'm literally on the team bus and I've got the phone out. I'm watching on on my YouTube TV and, you know, you know, watch the first round, watch second round, watch third round, get to hotel, watch, you know, for the fourth and fifth round. And, you know, and judges go to scorecards. I'm like, all right, this should be a pretty easy 48, 47 Rafael and Stotts. I thought, I thought the judge was clear when, uh, Michael C. Williams says 50 to 45 Sabatello. I'm like, what? Like, and that's, that's one of those things you go, whoa, 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 were we watching the same fight? I know I'm watching it on a, on an iPhone. I'm not like right in front of you. I'm like, that's a pretty odd scorecard. And, uh, and then of course we all know, you know, then of course what happens next day with, with Patty Pimblet. you know, one thing about that, a fight, I, I want to play something Rafion Stotts said today. And Rafael Stotts made a very interesting claim. My thing is when I've been reading up on him, he, he's saying he got his own set of criteria that he's judging a fight to like the fighter should, we should know the criteria that you're judging a fight. Uh, before we, before we fought, uh, when we have a fighter meeting at the back, um, um, what's his name? Mazzuli? Yeah. Mazzuli? Yeah, Mazzuli. Mazzuli told us, get ran us down the criteria of what will win you a fight. You know, uh, he ran it down for us. Um, 
So if he's going by something different, we need to be made, you know, uh, aware of this type of shit. You know what I mean? That's like, it's bullshit. Very interesting claim there from Rafion Stotts, first off. I think that's the first thing to say there. Uh, of course, if people did not see, Mike Mazzoli did put out a statement uh, on, uh, let's see, today is Wednesday. So this was on Tuesday. He put the statement out where it said it said this. In the last Bellator event, December 9, 2022, there was a controversy in the Sabatello versus Stotts fight. After reviewing the fight, three rounds of the five rounds were extremely close, and the other two were marginally close rounds. Mohegan uh, Athletic Director Mohegan Athletic Department Director of Athletic Mike Mazzoli expanded, quote, one judge had Sabatel winning all five rounds, which is controversial, but ultimately Stotts won the decision, which is the correct result. In an effort to make this a learning moment, I have informed all three judges we will be reviewing the fight together. This is a very serious situation. The Mohegan Tribe Athletic Department always looks out for the best interests of the fighters. In the past, the Mohegan Tribe Athletic Department has sanctioned officials that are not performing to the level that is required. So the sanctions, which they when they occur, are not made public. I would simply say, I think, I think when I, I see that statement, Daniel, I just read between the lines there. I think it's probably safe to say we're not going to see Douglas Crosby working a, a Bellator car at the Mohegan Sun anytime soon. That, Can you? That, okay, let me just say this. That is coming from Jason Floyd. That's not coming from Mike Mazzulli. That's my perception of that statement. Can you talk to me about how judges get selected to judge their Mohegan Sun? That is done by Mike Mazzulli. Mike Mazzulli, he he runs the commission. He is the one that assigns those officials. I mean, you know, I, I think that when we're and look, MMA judging has been a topic of conversation since I started covering the sport in 2009, even before 2009. It's always going to be a subject. The one thing that to me is I do believe there are regulators out there who are trying to do do things to make MMA judging better. You know, there's all these seminars that take place, training courses that take place. The ABC on their website tells you when these these courses are happening. You know, but one thing is, it's like, it, it's one of those things of, what is the solution to improve judging? I, I think a lot of us, you know, I think when I hear from fighters, I think the biggest thing I hear is, I want a lifelong martial artist, Okay. How many people want to sign up to be an MMA judge? Because I'll tell you this right now. I, I love MMA. I love MMA. I love sitting down on a Saturday night watching fights. But Daniel, there ain't enough money you could pay me to judge fights. Why, why would I, I? I give kudos to any person who wants to be a judge. I don't want to do that. No, thank you. Yeah, same here. Granted, you could pay me a certain amount and I would do it, right? If we're talking $100,000 a year, sign me up. I'll do it every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I'll bite that bullet. But it's not a fun job to have. If we're talking about your scoring, it's because it's bad. There may be an amazing judge out there who over the years has never scored a card wrong. That person might exist. We don't know their name. (laughs) If you do this job exceptionally well, we don't know who you are. If we had to induct one judge into the Mixed Martial Arts Hall of Fame that doesn't really exist, we wouldn't know who to nominate. There may be somebody out there who's just doing a stand-up job and no one knows their name. It's much like an official. I I will say, hearkening back to the Rathion Stout sound that you played, that is very interesting. 
I would be very interested as to where Raphael Stotts heard that. I understand there was a, a Crosby was on Chael Sonnen's uh, show a while ago. Where he said some outrageous stuff, and I haven't heard that audio clip. Maybe it's in that one. But if Crosby is somewhere on record saying he has his own judging criteria on how he scores fights, that is crazy. Can you imagine an official coming out here and being like, oh, I got my own uh, officiating criteria on what is and isn't an illegal strike. I uh, I like to allow 47 fence grabs before deducting a point, which actually I believe is uh, part of the unified rules, having watched this sport you know, all the time. For the love of God, I've never seen a, a point deducted for a fence grab. Okay, uh, circling back to the question you asked, what do we do to fix this issue? Um, the idea of it being a lifelong martial artist I think is something that – might already actually exist. I would hazard a guess that a lot of the judges are lifelong martial artists that are involved in the martial arts community if we really examine their backgrounds. What I would suggest is the best way to attack the problem of the judging criteria not being utilized correctly. And that was the problem in the 50 to 45 scorecard for Sabatello. The judging criteria was not utilized correctly in that fight. In a lot of those rounds, Sabatello controlled the position, right? He had over 10 minutes of control. But when you look at the judging criteria, uh, what determines around at the very top of the pyramid is effective striking or grappling. That tells me Crosby didn't utilize the criteria. So the criteria is good. What we need to have is, it starts with an A, accountability. If we have a judge with a bad scorecard, then he needs to be held, he or she needs to be held accountable. And if it's consistent, they need to no longer be judging big time fights until they prove they have the ability to do it consistently. I mean, look, it's, I, I think that when you look at people like a Mike Mazzulli, an Andy Foster, and I'll, I'll throw Jeff Mullen in here as well. I think they are, they are regulators that are, are going to make changes. You know, when they see something that's not right or was done wrong, they're going to act upon it, you know, and, and got to give a lot of kudos to Mike Mazzulli for putting out that statement that he did, you know, to me, scoring Stotts and Sabatello wasn't a difficult to me. Two, three, five, I gave to Rafael Stotts rounds one and round four to Danny Sabatello, and that was a scorecard that Brian Minor and Eric Cologne had. Uh, of course, uh, Douglas Crosby you know, scoring all five rounds for Danny Sabatello. I thought Josh Thompson hit on a great point after that fight was over on the broadcast on, on Showtime, is if you understand the scoring criteria, Rafael Stotts won that fight. For Danny Sabatello, it's not a wrestling meet. And look, you know I love Danny Sabatello. I I think the guy is, he's got that it factor to be able to sell a fight. But you can't go in there and fight that way and think that you won the fight. You got to go in there. Go ahead. Sorry, you just can't fight that way in 2022. You could in 2005. In 2005, Danny Sabatello is the winner of this fight. But in 2022, when effective striking is something that can win you around, he needs to, when he's in top position, do something. Yeah. He needs to, moving forward, this is a guy, when I watched this fight, it was a close fight. He should feel good about his chances to one day become Bantamweight champion because Stouts and Patchy Mix, those are two top-tier guys. Sabatello can hang with either of them. What he needs to do moving forward is figure out how to do effective striking from the top position mm-hmm. against elite Bantamweights. Once he's got that figured out, Jason, the world's his oyster. 
he demonstrated he could go out there and out wrestle stouts. The problem was he wasn't able to do anything else other than that. And that is not enough to win you most rounds when the other fighter clearly does more effective striking. Now, of course, the other controversy was over in the co-main event of UFC 282. Patty Pimblett gets a win over Jared Gordon. First off, let's not use the R word here. Let's not use the word robbery. You know, I think sometimes there is a difference between a close decision and a robbery. This is a close decision. If you tell me you score 29-28 for Jared Gordon, I have no problem with that. Now, I do see these 30-27 to 27 scores for Jared Gordon. I can't get on, on board with that because I thought that when you look at this fight, I think for the most part, a lot of people would agree the second round was Patty Pimlet's round. Third round what are you scoring? I mean, that, that to me has got to be the question mark. And Jared Gordon has to go back and watch that fight and go, I need to do more in that third round. To me, it comes down to the first round, but to me, what the, was a kind of a very interesting comment that I heard was from John McCarthy on his weighing in podcast, because his son, Ron McCarthy was one of the referees judging this fight. And to just to throw it out there, Ron McCarthy scored the first and second round for Patty Pimblett, the third round for Jared Gordon. And here is what John McCarthy said on his podcast about it. You know, the athletic commission picks the judges and stuff. My son was one of the judges and I, and he asked me and I said, oh, you got that wrong. I thought Jared Gordon won 29, 28 first round in that fight. Jared Gordon hit Patty Pimblett with a left hook like it was a magnet. He hit him over and over and over again, and he stung him, and you could see it. Now, Patty had his things, but I think you came up with the actual right, you know, and this can happen when you're a judge sitting there. You're getting the crowd responding every time Patty does something because, truthfully, Patty did not, did not punch as many times as Jared Gordon. He didn't land as much as Jared Gordon, and the shots that he landed were not as good as what Jared Gordon landed. But when you get the crowd reaction, and that's what you're hearing, it kind of, you know, you're, you're looking and you're trying to say, but there's times when you're not seeing that angle, but you're hearing the reaction of the crowd, and it's an influencer. And I think they got influenced by what the crowd was into as far as the crowd was there, wanted Patty to win, and they're reacting to everything he's doing Jared Gordon won that first round. He won the third round. I give Patty Pimlet the second round. I thought Patty won the second round. But if you go back and you watch that fight, that first round, which a lot of people said really close, not really that close. I mean, it was you know not like, oh, one guy ran over the other, but it's pretty clear Jared Gordon should have won that round. Now, look, I have a ton of respect for John McCarthy. And, and flat out, I'll tell you, I thought it was 29-28 Patty Pimblett giving him the first and a, uh, the first and a second round. I, you know, to me, the second round was really the, the clear round to me in, in terms of this one. Um, you know, or, or excuse me, the first and the third. You look at third round, it's just, it's, it's a tough round to score because of kind of what happened there. Um, Patty Pimblett, kind of like Danny Sabatello, he's got that it factor. But man, he has got a long way. I, I, we, we talked about it last week. We, we all know the deficiencies of Patty Pimblett. And it, it's, but it's one of these things of like, to me, it's just a close fight. You know, I'm not going to get so up in arms about whether Patty won or, or, or should Jordan won just because it was a close decision. Yes. I think the thing is, Patty is a very, very volatile person. 
people have strong opinions about Patty either way. And when he's involved in something, even if it's in actuality, just a close first round, people are going to scream robbery. People are going to scream insane things. I agree with your assessment. It was a close fight upon watch. I also scored a 29-28 for Gordon. I think when you watch that first round, what Patty did well was moving forward throughout that frame. You know, Jared really caught him well with, I want to say, at least three significant lefts that were enough to win the round. And also, great kicks from Gordon. It was a very well-rounded approach. And when you watch that round, it's a clear Jared Gordon round. But in the moment, I think McCarthy really nails it. The crowd probably plays a role in thinking maybe some of the forward movement out of Patty was more significant than it actually was. It was a close round. Um, excuse me. It was a close fight. It wasn't a robbery. Moving forward, I think the stock of Patty drops with this performance. When you look at how he performed against Jared Gordon, I think if you're looking at moving forward, you got to really be concerned about what Patty did in that third round. This wasn't a 25-minute fight. This was a 15-minute fight. And he basically took his foot off the gas in round three. That's just something you can't do, and it's not something he's going to be able to do. And when you look at his performance and you match him up with top 15 guys in that division, uh, there's not a single lightweight in the top 15 that I would pick Patty Pimblett to beat. The man is still undefeated in the UFC, so there's nothing against him in that regard. He's still incredibly talented, but it's a killer division, and uh, Patty just doesn't look like a killer to me. He's a good, good fighter, a good lightweight with a lot of potential. But moving forward, if he wants to be recognized as as a as a true Hall of Fame talent, if he wants to be a champion, Patty Pimblin needs to take his game to the next level, and he has the ability to do so. He has that it factor, and inside the cage, he fights like a winner. He knows how to win fights usually. So the upside is there. If you told me, am I going to bet on it? Well, I don't think so. I wouldn't. But moving forward, it does seem like we've had a constant kind of rise of Patty. And last Saturday, it was a little bit of a plateau. You know, even hearing the crowd in the post-fight interview, they seemed a little, they were still loud as hell. The man is over. But they seemed less loud than previous. And maybe that's because he's not fighting in Europe. I mean, that's probably a major freaking reason. But I also feel like between the Ariel Helwani controversy and the way the fight played out, the stock of Patty has either gone down just a tad or has stayed the same. It wasn't a good weekend for Pimblet, although I guess it's nice to maintain your undefeated run in the UFC. I will tell you this. I had one person come up to me on Saturday asking about what time the UFC fights are, but you know what their, their question was? What's that? When will Patty be fighting? Yeah. Nothing. It goes nothing. Down. Yeah, nothing about the main event. I mean, look, Patty has done a great job of building himself up. But I think also is, you know, one of the things that we have seen from Patty Pimblett outside of a preparation for him is a guy who does put on weight. I mean, we, we've seen what his body looks like when he's not in training camp. So maybe part of this will be the people around him saying, Patty, we, we've got to take your, your weight more serious when we're not in a training camp. So you're not using part of your camp just to get down away. I mean, look, he's never miss weight but like you remember when Ilya Tapori wanted to come up to 155 and fight him if you saw what Jared Gordon 
was able to accomplish offensively against Patty Pimblett. And, and look, I, I I did not pick that fight right with, with Bryce Mitchell and Elliot Tapori. Tapori looked absolutely amazing. And like if you looked at anyone in the top 15 at 155, Patty will be probably two, at least a two-to-one betting underdog against all of them. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. And that was the story of this card. Up until the Patty Pimblett fight, we had a lot of fighters look really good, right? We had guys regain their name, like Jaizir No Rosenstrike, who just took him about 60 seconds to get paid. You had Raul Rosas come out here and just continue to show that he's really freaking good. The man went out there, grabbed the tape down, got the quick tap. Ilya Taporia, more so than anybody else in this car, to me, looks like I'm just the most excited for him. Like he just to me was like, I'm ready. Let's go. Top five. Let's get it on. I mean, he he was just he went up against a very tough guy in Bryce Mitchell. And first and foremost, it was a really bad matchup for Bryce because Taporia was just such a better striker. And his wrestling defense, oof, that that put Mitchell in just all kinds of knots. So Taporia to me was the guy out of the entire pay-per-view that I was like thinking. You know, this this is a champion-level fighter. Speaking of decisions and robberies, I got to ask you, when you look at that main event and that split draw, do you think that was a robbery? I mean, do you think Ankalaev deserved to get the nod? And how did you score that one, Jason? I gave a slight edge to Ankalaev in that one. I mean, once again, I think it's a close fight. I mean, like, here's a crazy thing about if you're Ankalaev. The fight's over. You've just gone to, to, to battle with a former champion for 25 minutes. You're staying there with your team, and you're fully expecting Bruce Buffer's going to say, and new UFC light heavyweight champion, Magomed and Kalayev. So you're, you're on cloud nine, man. You're about to be a champion. Life's all good. You literally go within a couple of minutes of, A, you don't win the title, then B, you're probably like, okay, I got to be a shoe in the fight Glover. Nope. Glover's now fighting someone else for the title. And your next fight may not even be for a title. Like, so you talk about what a wild like hour it was for Ann Kaliev. You go from fighting for the title. Seems like you're about to be champion. Then nope, you're not the champion. Oh, they're doing another title fight, and yeah, you might have to fight again in a non-title fight. Like, what a crazy hour to ninety minutes for for Ankalaev on Saturday night. I know you got to feel so bad for the guy. You really do, man. It was a, it was a good little light heavyweight main event. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was close, and I did think Ankalaev won. I'm gonna pitch you this: we need to change the rules of mixed martial arts, and this is what the rule is: no matter what the judges say. If one of the two fighters admits that he lost, we just change the result, right? Yon's in the cage kind of saying, oh, I guess I kind of lost. If one of the two guys says, I lost the decision, Jason, on the spot, like an instant replay, we should be able to change the results. That's how we fix judging. If we just get one of the two combatants who spent a fight camp, they've invested so much in this. If they, in fact, admit, kind of disagree there. Definitely thought I was going to lose that one. We should just change the result because Jan thought Ankalaev won the fight. And by the way, I just want to say this other thing. Joe Rogan is the best post-fight interviewer, and he will be the best post-fight interviewer of all time. Controversial figure. Wouldn't want to 
to do my yearly checkup when it comes to checking up on my body. He's probably going to prescribe me something, uh, something that, you know, I wouldn't want. Best post-fight interviewer ever because he gives um, a zero Fs, right? It's not like he just doesn't care. And he just says it how it is. He asks real questions. He asks uncomfortable questions. He gets Jan to admit in the cage that he that he didn't think he won. Give Joe Rogan his flowers. He is the best post-fight interviewer. When you look at what that role is, the man is in the microphone and he has an opportunity to give the audience answers to questions that they have. No one in this sport, and I would argue any other sport, does a better job of providing new information to the viewer after an athletic contest. I mean, seriously, dude, can you think of a single post-game interview in the NBA, in the NFL, in the MLB that has been as noteworthy as Joe Rogan's top 30 highlights? I mean, look, literally, Joe Rogan is a meme of sitting on the mat interviewing Conor McGregor. And now, how many times have you seen a meme where they have photoshopped Conor out of it and it's Joe interviewing whoever? Like the yes. one that, you know, I, I look, the one, and, and we don't talk politics here, but the one that just got me comical is when our president, uh, what was it, he fell off the bike and someone photoshopped Joe Rogan in interviewing him. I'm like, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, he's literally, he does, maybe it goes along with being like a high-level stand-up comic and the ability to act in the moment. That's, that takes confidence to do that sit-down interview, right? Who else is doing that? You think on a, and and I love the PFL and I love Bellator. You think in the post-fight interview, we're seeing that out of their post-fight interviews? No, no we don't. No. So I just I just wanted to mention that. It was just very clear when I look at how Joe was getting down to business uh, in, in that cage after yeah. the um, the insanity of split draw. I was just thinking, damn, Joe was, Joe was really good at this job. But uh, yeah, I thought Ankalaev won. Um, I got to say the light heavyweight title just means a whole lot of nothing right now. I mean, it's just... It's just it, it means nothing, bro. I mean, we're gonna we're just handing out light heavyweight championship opportunities like it's Halloween, and we're handing out candy corn, which is a good candy. I'm sorry, Mike Leach. Rest in peace, Mike Leach. You were so amazing to us as sports fans. Just one of the most interesting guys. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it was one of his amazing interviews where it's like a, a post game interview. I want to say, and he just talks about candy corn and Halloween candy for a minute. But yeah, I uh, I, uh, I I just you know. It, it, it's ridiculous that we're just having another <laughs> random championship fight. No, the best Mike Leach one was from last season where uh, the sideline reporter for the uh, SEC network um, who is getting married and she asked Mike, do you have any advice for me? He says, get eloped. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Mike is amazing. Mike was amazing. Um, dude, today on ESPN, they were playing a, a story Jeremy Schott did with him years ago and it ended with just the best quote ever that personified Mike Leach, who, by the way, think about this. Mike Leach didn't play college football. He just really wanted to do it, and he pursued his dream, and he got to where he was. But in the very end, Jeremy asked him, oh, something along the lines of, Mike, what do you want them to write in your obituary? And he says something like, I don't really care. I'm going to be dead. <laughs> like, that's what he says. Wow. He says. He says. He's wow. like, I'm sorry for you that you got to write it. I don't care. And, and, wow. and that's, that's the, the, 
what's the word? The unique perception of the world that Mike had that I think is just so empowering. And it was such a shock, right? It was such a shock. And uh, yeah. if you're a sports fan, you know all about him. And just, you know, much love to Mike Leach, Brent. Thank you for everything you gave us. You know, we talk about the odd 60, 90 minutes it was for Ankalaev. How about your Anthony Smith? You're working the UFC post-fight show, and you now learn that the guy you have been preparing to fight in March is no longer your opponent in March because he's fighting for the UFC light heavyweight title in Jamal Hill. And, and let's just say, kudos to Anthony Smith because he handled that situation I think better than probably a lot of athletes would have handled that situation. And Anthony Smith was on Ariel's show and uh, he talked about just kind of what happened where, well, how did Anthony Smith learn it? Yeah. A producer in his ear tells him three seconds before they announce it. Yeah. Corporate Jake came in my ear. I'm not even exact. Maybe three seconds before it came out of her mouth said just in, and you know, you know, Jake, like credit to Jake for like trying to do his best to give me the best heads up he could. But, uh, it was as fast as they could get it to me. He, you know, Jake popped in and said, Hey, heads up. They're going to announce Jamal Hill versus Glover for the title. And I was like, and then she said it and I was like, God damn it. And you can't even react when he's saying it. It, it, it sucks. Yeah. And that's yeah. good on him for at least telling you that. But as you said, three seconds, not a lot of time to digest. What is going through your mind when you hear this? Mm -hmm. Just not again. Like, it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend that I got a, a terrible life or whatever, but I've just been on the wrong end of it for a while. You know, like since the span fight, it's been nothing but terrible shit happening. You know, it's the, the surgery, I had to have surgery after the span fight, then the staph infection, then, you know, I battle back from that. And then right when camp starts, my mom dies and then I battle through the training camp and then I break my ankle in the Ankalaya fight when I felt like it was going well, you know, and then surgery. And then, you know, I battle back from that. And I'm like, I thought the Jamal Hill thing was going good. I felt really, I was starting to get to a positive place, you know, like it, it, just dealing with the loss of my mom and, and just other personal stuff, you know, it just kind of battled through it. And like, personally, I was starting to like really turn the corner and getting to be in a really positive spot. And then I don't know, you know, then this happens. It's just, it, it's not, not at, I wasn't directed at anybody specifically because I understand all parties involved. I understand their positions and everyone has to do what they have to do. Uh, but I was really angry. How long did it take for you to come down? Um, sometime today. Oh, really? You still, you, you still felt for several days that anger. Yeah, that's why I didn't, I didn't post anything. I didn't, I denied all media requests. I, we, the, the BYM got pushed back until yesterday. Oh, wow. I just, I, I knew that I'd flip out and, 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 it's, and it's not directed at any individual person. That's the worst part. It's I'm just angry, you know, and it's just some of it's at life. Some of it's at circumstance. Some of it's at myself, you know, it's just, but as far as like, I'm not mad at Jamal. I'm not mad at the UFC. I'm not it, like, it's just, it just sucks, you know? I mean, kudos to be able to handle that in a, a camera's literally right in your face and you see the reaction. And also I feel like, I feel like John Anik kind of steps in, like kind of like in a way say, Hey, Anthony, remember we're live on TV, man. Don't freak out too much. I know, bro. 
<laughs> only three seconds? Like, that's, I mean, look, I don't, look, three seconds sometimes I'm like, eh, it's not that short. My girlfriend disagrees. But that's like if we're doing this podcast, Jason, you out here telling me, Daniel, um, your girlfriend's pregnant. All right, three, two, one, go. And I'm just going to be like, yeah, I feel bad for Anthony. I mean, listening to all of his trials and tribulations, I'm just depressed. Like, I'm ready to just listen to My Chemical Romance and buy a ticket to the Black Parade. I just I, – I feel for him, and it comes down to this. Anthony Smith found out on air that his fight against Jamal Hill, which is the best fight he could have possibly had, is off. And whoever he gets next will not be as appetizing. Unless he gets, I don't know. I mean, I was gonna say one of the guys in the main events, but you're looking at rematch city. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel bad for Anthony. I, I, I will say this is someone that really has a lot of bad luck, dude. Like I, I feel bad for Anthony Smith, and uh, there's no sh- other way of sugarcoating it other than to say this much. Dana White should have handled business better. He should have handled business better. He doesn't need to do this on the fly. They're not going to do any more or less buys than had he waited to announce this fight. You shouldn't be doing business this way where you were making a fight that impacts these guys without informing everybody involved. And it's been like that in back-to-back fights. It, it needs to it needs to change. It won't change. But I will say when you look at what's wrong in the situation, you got to point a finger at Dana. Yeah, I mean, look, it's I'm sure what's going through his mindset and Hunter Campbell's mindset when they're making this decision in the back, you know, the fact that, you know, a fighter that's going to be affected by this decision have to be working on their broadcast team at that moment. So, I mean, maybe it's John Blachowicz. Maybe that's who he ends up fighting. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought was um interesting was kind of he talked about maybe he's the backup plan which i mean look right now if you, you talk about anthony smith is coming off that lawsuit injury against ankle he had lost i mean he's three and three in his last six fights i mean so it's kind of tough to justify him but yeah you know, i think for anthony smith i think he, he handled it uh tremendous we'll you know we'll, we'll see what kind of happens you, there jason let me ask you this bro it yeah. is december 2022 mm-hmm. when we do this podcast one year from now who will be the light heavyweight champion of the UFC? I would put my money on Ankalaev. Do you think we get a Prohaska fight before in the next year? Probably unlikely. I don't know. I think it's possible in December. Like, wait, because it it's a nine month layoff, right? Yeah. Is that what was reported? I mean, so yeah, like, I mean, and and that's all, you're also saying that there's no no setbacks in in. I mean, he yeah. had major shoulder surgery. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm gonna say Prohaska, but if it's not Prohaska, Alkaliyev did look really, really good. And uh, if he, ter- I mean, he was really upset in that post fight. He he went on to apologize for some of the comments he said. Basically, I mean, he didn't really know how it works when it criticizing the UFC when it's not their decision on who wins the fight. Uh, you know, maybe Kaderoff disagrees, but uh, you know, if he channels that emotion and motivation into the tools he already has, there's nothing stopping Uncle Lia from being the recognized UFC light heavyweight champion. 
Yeah, Kadyrov had that uh, when he went to his notes and basically telling Dana White that he just needs to give Ankali the title. Essentially, that's what he's saying. Uh, there was an article that was on the New York Post about the fact of the U.S. State Department is aware of the UFC fire ties uh, to Kadyrov. And well, I got to give a lot of kudos to MMA Junkie because they all, they reported what most people know is that there is a connection for these fighters that are going over there and the fact that they're represented by the same management company, Dominance MMA, represented by Ali Abdelaziz, which starts to raise a lot of questions of, okay, is is obviously there's got to be some type of financial arrangement going on. Is Ali doing that? Is there somebody else a part of that? Uh, Justin Gaethje, which, oh, man. So Dave Portnoy. Tweets at him because, you know, obviously, you know, Dave was at the fights for for Patty. And um, I didn't hear about this until I was listening to the Co-Man Event podcast where Justin Gaethje starts to ask for people to prove that he's been around Kadyrov. Justin, there's photos, man. And then he says, like, no, I was there for his kid's birthday. He wasn't there. (laughs) Hold on. You're at a dictator's house and that's what you're going with? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Justin... Justin is he misplayed his hand. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. Look, I don't know a lot about Kadyrov, um, uh, but I'll just read his Wikipedia. Uh, Kadyrov rule, rules the republic through despotism and repression. Uh, he has he has he has been accused of crimes against humanity, and has led anti-gay purges in the republic. He's been accused of kidnapping, assassination, the torture of human rights activists, critics, and their relatives. Can you stop taking selfies with the man? Look, if you are Justin Gaethje, you're Henry Cejudo, Kamaru Usman, you need to start looking in the mirror. Who is putting you in that position? Yep. Who, who is that person? Yep, they're all managed by Ali. They are. And in addition to that, if you want to be a role model, have some have some self-accountability and don't be associated with a freaking warlord. Why are we having this conversation? I mean, like, this is not happening. Why in this sport do we have all these government agencies involved? We have this situation the FBI is out here looking at James Krause's crap. Hey. For the love of God, can this sport just chill out? There is know? one simple answer to your question. What? We must go to the great philosopher slash play-by-play announcer, Gus Johnson. These things happen in MMA. Oh, my God. These things happen. Can we... Can we is is the MI6 going to get involved next? The, is the CIA going to get involved? You know, I mean, geez, Louise, Jason, can yeah, we but, go a week without the government getting involved? Like I say, is I, w- let's give people. You know, look, we're going to be critical of people when we feel there needs to be criticism. But let's give people the roses. And when I saw MMA Junkie actually put that in an article, I said. All right, MMA Junkie, I see you. I see you. I like what you're doing here. You're giving us the full story and i mean look let's just be honest about it. there are times in mma where 
we may see a story read and maybe there's a little piece of information that should be in that article that's not in that article. Absolutely. Or how many interviews do we see where it's like, oh, this is just a puff piece. This is just a PR thing. This is what? a home This is a home court advantage. Why are you talking about Brad Okamoto like that? <laughs> look, look, I, look, and I got respect for Brad Okamoto. I get what he is doing. I get the position he has put himself in. As someone commented on YouTube on his interview with Dana White, it was the very first comment. Uh, Brett Okamoto is what Dana White wanted Ariel Hawani to be. Damn. And, and I mean, that's a burn. I mean, that that's a burn. Now, if you don't know what I'm referring to, Brett does a sit-down interview with Dana White. It was probably, I don't know, 27 minutes long. I watched the whole thing. And I was waiting for to when we got to the betting scale. Now, this was taped before UFC 282 gonna let you hear the it's it's a little bit of a lengthy clip here so I want to play it all but to me here is my biggest problem with this look I understand I'm not expecting hard-hitting journalism here I'm just not because I know what I'm getting but the way Brett Akimoto teases this question up I'm like come on bro like, you are trying to belittle this story when it's one of the biggest new stories in all of mixed martial arts. And I got to ask you about this because this is a, a, a story that has kind of um, been, been blowing up a little bit. Um, a lot of interest, I think, just because it's new, it's different. That And your sport really has not gone through it yet, and that is the, the gambling thing with mm. the Ontario and the Alberta um, provinces shutting down. So how does that impact you and just your thoughts on those decisions for them to, to, to stop allowing people to have action on UFC fights? Listen, there's obviously an investigation going on in the whole thing, but if you're telling me, am I shocked the Canadian government overreacted? <laughs> I'm not. I am not shocked that the Canadian government overreacted, no. Is this a day that you kind of probably didn't think about, but you were aware that might come at some point that, that um, you know, like every sport has kind of gone through this, like 1919 World Series, like NBA with the, with the referee. Yeah. Like, like, did you kind of see yeah, this coming? I mean, this, is, this has always been a possibility. I just felt like, you know, a lot of the guys that I've dealt with, I, I always liked, it's like with the whole when we got into USADA and all this other stuff, I always like to give these guys the benefit of the doubt that, that you know, and, and at the time, you got to think back, you really couldn't bet enough on MMA to, to make it worth ruining your life. Uh -huh. There wasn't enough money in it. You uh -huh. know what I mean? If you could go somewhere and you thought you could bet, you know, make a million dollars or something on some, or hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh -huh. you, you would think that would happen, but, you know, here we are. Yeah. Here we are. It, it's, you know, nothing ever shocks me in life when people do dumb stuff. Um, you know, it's just, just part of the process. It's just something we, else we got to deal with. I mean, would you even label it a concern, fight fixing in, in your sport? Would Huge it, concern. Now, now it you is. You are concerned about it. Now now, now that there's an, an investigation and, and, and it could be possible that it happened. Yeah, yeah. Now, now it's something that we really have to, uh, you know, we've always told the fighters as all the gambling stuff started to heat up mm -hmm. and uh you know stay away from gambling obviously don't i mean do you know how stupid you have to be to get involved in something like that i mean everybody that it gets caught you always get caught and all they have to do is follow the money follow the money 
you know? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of people in prison for really dumb stuff. People really are that stupid, and, you know, mm -hmm. things are going to happen. And uh, if this is all true, and this, 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 this investigation ends up that this really happened, people are going to go to prison. And it, people aren't going to go to jail. People are going to go to prison. And, uh, and hopefully everybody else is watching and taking notes. Yeah, and so reading between the lines there, what you're saying, because um, I've seen, like, like, it's been rumored that the FBI is involved. Is it, has it gone up to that level? There's an investigation going on. I can't talk about any of this stuff. It's, you know, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Hmm, that is crazy. It's unfortunate. Do you think that what, regardless of what happens, maybe like, let's even say it's like the worst case scenario, do you think it has a lasting impact on, on, on your sport and what you're able to, to do and like the conversations that you need to have with certain people? No, it's like you said, this has happened in every sport. In every sport, somebody thinks they're smarter than everybody else mm -hmm. when really they're the dumbest guy in the room. And uh, you will get caught. You will get caught. And you will go to prison. Yeah. So it is what it is. Yeah. If you're that dumb and you're willing to take that risk for money, ruin your life for money, you know, we can tell people till we're blue in the face. Don't, it's the same thing as steroids. Performance enhancing drugs. Don't do it. You saw this testing. You're going to get caught. Yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but this is a whole nother level. Yeah. You, get, you saw the catches you're doing something. You're going to get a year of suspension. You know, you lose some money and you got to pay this. You got to do that. You, you get caught doing this, you're going to federal prison. Mm -hmm. So we can tell them to we're blue in the face. If you're that stupid, have fun in prison. So there's Dana White prior to UFC 282. And I want to do a little comparison and contrasting between that comment and the comment he gave Mike Baum of MMA Junkie at the post-fight press conference. Just wanted to get an update from you. We haven't heard you in this forum talking about uh, the betting investigation that's going on. I know there's only so many things you can say, but is there any updates you can give us on what's going on currently? There's literally nothing I can say about that. Um, you know, I, uh, you know I, I did an interview the other day with, with Akimoto. It was probably the most I've said about this, and that doesn't come out till like, next week. But, um, you know... It is what it is. There's, there's an investigation going on, and see how it plays out. How concerning is this for you, well, like kind of the integrity not only of this organization but just the sport as a whole? Zero. Zero. I, I'm not worried about it at all. Um, you know, people ask me, well, I, I, what was the what, – what were they talking about? Somebody was saying, well, what's the UFC going to do? What's, we let these guys know not to bet on fights. Do, do you know what the outcome of this is? Like – if I, if I penalize them, you get cut. They're going to go to fucking federal prison. Federal fucking prison. If you're that fucking stupid and somebody else wants to do it, knock yourself out. There's not enough money in it to ruin your life and not go to jail. Go to federal prison. What other question do you have? I was just going to ask if there's a timeline on when maybe this could be wrapped up. Or How the fuck would I know? I'm there's an investigation going on. You think, you think the people that are investigating call me and keep me in the loop on this? I'm not sure what you're being told. That's why I asked. Why would they tell me? There's an investigation going on on a, on a, on a fight that's being fixed. 
Why would they tell me anything? I know as much as you know. Fair enough. Thank you, Dana. You're welcome. First off, I'm going to say Dana White knows more information on this case than Mike Bomb MMA Junkie knows. I'm I'm just wild speculation. I'm going to say he knows a little bit more. But you see the difference. And look, Dana is tremendous at doing this in press conference scenarios of basically spewing his message. Maybe spewing is not the right word to say here, but relaying his message to where there won't be a follow-up from their journalists. But I just want to do a little comparison contrast to see how different of styles those were in terms of that one. Now, really, the only update on the betting scandal uh, to really throw out there at this point is the fact that uh, James Krause and Derek Minner, both their uh, temporary suspensions were extended today by Nevada State Athletic Commission. Nothing really new in the story, um, you know, but that really was the first time we really, really heard Dana White talk about this in a public uh, scenario. The only thing that I really question him is, is he being truthful to us? And, and maybe he is that he's not concerned about how this potentially hurts the integrity of not just the UFC, but mixed martial arts. Yeah, it's pretty simple. This fight happened. That already impacts the integrity of the sport. This wasn't stopped. This wasn't a, a, a Kuntz and Bong situation where it was pointed out beforehand. This fight happened. Mm-hmm. We still don't know exactly what transpired. We do know Derek Minner was hurt. We do know that the odds changed dramatically in the lead-up to the fight. We do know Derek Minner went in there and used his injured leg And we do know the fight ended in the first round. Mm -hmm. This fight happened. You have to call into question the integrity of the sport when we have a coach, a prominent coach of a former flyweight champion with a championship fight on the deck that is now in a federal investigation and currently ostracized from the sport, forced to, most importantly, delete his YouTube channel. I mean, there's nothing worse that can happen to a person in 2022 than having to delete their social media. So clearly there's there, there there's something, some smoke to the fire. And Dana and the UFC brass need to be protective of their sport because it is vulnerable at the present moment. I believe they will be protective and they will figure this situation out and we will be okay in the future. But to downplay it is... Like they like he did in in the post fight presser when the the fight happened, that's not the right move. When it comes to journalism, I'll say it like this: You listen to those two interviews. This is how you know you asked good questions. If it's a tough topic, and Dana White's pissed, you've asked the right questions. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's it's great this is the thing about this week and we're, we'll talk about the fights that are happening this week later on in the show but today was media day julian marquez did not talk to the media if julian marquez gets a win on saturday night against deron win obviously the ufc can control a post-fight interview with julian marquez and highly unlikely they'd even bring up james kraus but let's just say julian marquez wins on saturday let's just say He has a tremendous performance. Does the UFC make him available to the media after the fights are over? I don't know, man. If you're you're Julian Marquez, 
do maybe maybe then maybe this conversation's already happened. You know, whether it was Julian Marquez or maybe his manager Jason House, go to the UFC, go look. I'm not gonna talk, man. You know what? Even if I go out there and have a highlight reel performance, I'm not talking to the media after this thing's over. That would yeah. probably be the, that would probably be the smart play. Julian Marquez has been in Las Vegas. I mentioned this on Monday's podcast. Trey Ogden, the UFC lightweight, he had had an affiliate gym of glory in Oakland Park, Kansas. I noticed on Sunday, it was either Saturday or Sunday, that gym has now been renamed to Marathon MMA. The report came out last Friday that allegedly James Krause has sold the ownership of his gym to Joe Wooster. Joe Wooster, a longtime regional matchmaker, is also an agent now with the Iridium Sports Agency, represents a lot of those guys that are out of that glory gym. So you're, you're kind of seeing what's going on there. But it did catch my eye when I was going through my Facebook feed and I saw that Trey had renamed his gym, no longer being a glory gym, now being Marathon MMA. That did stick out to me a little bit, but you know, look, I, you know, I, I'm sure it's one situation with Dana. I'm sh- my perception would be, he knows a lot more than what he's telling us, but I think it's a situation where he can't say what he knows. Yeah. Yeah. And, and but uh, him also going, you're going to effing federal prison, you know, I mean, we, we were sitting there both listening to this clip. We're kind of laughing as he's saying it. Just just the way he's emphasizing effing. <laughs> it almost feels like it belongs in a damn T-shirt. But, uh, I mean, it just begs the question, um, what the hell happened? Right? That's what I'm curious about. Yeah. We still don't know what the hell happened in this story. We have the beginning. We have the end. For the love of God, can some journalists out there give me the middle? What actually transpired? What did James Krause do? What did Derek Minner do? Who else is involved? Did anyone do anything? Are they innocent? Probably not. But I don't know the answer to any of these questions, and I really would like to know the answer to these questions. And one last thing on this topic I want to talk about. Dana said two things that stuck out to me, and they just screamed, BS. One, everyone gets caught or something like that. Uh, Not everyone gets caught. Right. I have a feeling Tim Donahue wasn't the only NBA referee involved in his scandal. I have a feeling. Don't know. Have a feeling. There are fighters and managers. I Let me say it like this. I would be shocked if something shady has not happened before in the history of this sport. The second thing I would mention is Dana... Dana likes to do this thing where he downplays topics and he talks about, come on, I mean, MMA back in the day, there wasn't enough money in betting MMA. I'm like, no, that's not how betting works. You get some odds and you bet money and you get money back. You don't get less money back because the sport's less popular. I could make $10 million betting on freaking pickleball. It depends on the odds. So Dana White saying there's no money in betting at mixed martial arts is crazy. In 2007, you could make more money throwing a fight than you would for a fight night bonus as you could in 2022. But there has always been money in gambling. That's why every single time you watch anything, there is a whole crap load of ads for gambling. So there's always been money in gambling in MMA. I think one of the stories that will be very interesting to pay attention to 
in the interim where we don't kind of know where this investigation is at because we've talked about it on this podcast. We're just trying to talk about the facts of the case that we know. We're not trying to make assumptions. We're not trying to make perceptions about the situation. But I am sure there is somebody out there that has a document on their computer of every fighter who has been coached by James Krause and when is their next fight. And you know people are going to make assumptions on, on that situation. Just saying, I think that's something to pay attention to uh, in, in terms of that story. But it wasn't, you know, be, but look, Dana is very good at what he does. He's very good at being able to shoot things down. And no one asked another question about that. Uh, in, in terms of other things at, at UFC 282, uh, to mention there, uh, Darren Till, another loss for him. Um, you know, we'll see where he goes from there. Uh, Drake is two plus C's. He wants, he wants a big fight. My guy, Billy Q going out there and getting the win. And, uh, he said today his, uh, his ideal next fight. And I'm all for this matchup. Him versus Edson Barboza. Sign me the hell up. Oh, that's a great fight, bro. That's a great fight. I mean, Billy Q and, and, uh, Alexander Hernandez had an awesome fight. Um, I, I really loved DC. I want to say during the Patty fight. Somebody on commentary was talking about how like the fights were going quick or something. And DC's like, don't jinx it. Don't mention it. <laughs> there hadn't been a decision the entire night until they come in a bit. And well, mm-hmm. there were two decisions. Like, dude, overall, this was a really fun card to watch. Obviously, it ended in a Debbie Downer. But yeah, I mean, Billy Q looked good. Um, the the finish to the Bantamweight fight was a little sketchy. The very first fight, Cameron Salmon versus Steven Kozlow. Cameron landed an illegal knee to, to Coslo in round two that really affected him. And then in round three, he got his back and finished him. So that's a little, that's a little, I don't like that. But um, also, Curtis and Buckley had a great fight. Buckley was winning round two real good until Curtis put him down. Edmund Shabazian looks like he's finally returning to form. It was an easier matchup for him, but he just looked better. His stand up looked really good against Doucha, and he was able to get that finish. Again, Raul Rosas Jr., gotta talk about him. He aced the test, right? He he's acing his his test uh, during the school week and on the weekend. He's out here acing the test. He took down the man and, and tapped him out easily. Moving forward, you just got to look at the stand up and see how that plays out. What's his stand up look? How does he develop? At the end of the day, Raul Rosas is literally twelve years away from his prime. That is crazy. Uh, and and to talk about Ponzinibbio against Agdorono. Uh, Santiago didn't look amazing, but he looked good. Moreno's a tough fighter. He performed well. And then circling back to Jurikis Duplicis. God, I'm going to need to really write down how you say his name because all right, just, I just remember. I'm, I'm going to make it easy for you. I'm going to put it in your world. DDP. DDP. I love it. I love it. <laughs> DDP. As long as you're not telling me about your yoga, I'm into it. DDP. Oh, he looks good. I love how he told the commentators beforehand. He's like, guys, I can't really breathe through my nose, so it looks like I'm gassed because I have my mouth open. So don't say I'm gassed. And then they're like, he looks pretty gassed. And then it's like, no, nah. I mean, he, he's not. He's just, uh, that's just yeah. how he looks. But his wrestling was really good against Till. My buddy used DDP yoga. And obviously yeah. he made he made lifestyle changes too. He's he's dropped over 150 pounds. And, and yeah. DDP yoga has been really a, a big part of it. Um Bellator two eighty nine. Uh let's just call it Night of Upsets, Underdog City. The dogs were barking at Bellator two eighty nine. Liz Carmouche was a betting underdog. Alara Ioana was underdog, Jalil Willis, Chris Lucioni, Christian Eccles, Cass Bell, all betting underdogs, all walked away with victories. And so, let me say this. Yeah. 
Stotts, patchy mix. Stotts will be the betting underdog. Yeah, patchy mix is my pick to win that fight. Look, um, the thing is, patchy looked amazing against Magomed Magomedov. Magomed Magomedov had a simple goal. It was put patchy on the ground. And patchy, time in and time out, defended the takedowns amazingly. And in addition, defending the takedown, it led to his offense where he tried submission holds. And lo and behold, he was able to do it. Stand-up looked really sharp from what we saw. I, I think based on these two performances, it's hard not to think Patchy should be the favorite. But if I see a line where Patchy is the favorite, I would put money down on Stouts in this performance. I think Stouts had a tougher matchup, and I think Stouts isn't going to come out here and try and wrestle with Patchy. I mean, I think it's going to be a stand-up fight. I think it's going to be a close fight. It's going to be a completely different matchup than the one he had against Megamedov. What Patchy showed is he is an unbelievably talented defensive wrestler. Yeah, I mean, Patchy, man, I, when I landed and I saw that result of that fight, I was like, oh, wow, did not see that one coming. Uh, but just a night upsets um, and uh, Stotts mix, man. Looking forward to seeing that one. Now, coming up here on Saturday, we got UFC Vegas 66 headlined by Jared Cannier versus Sean Strickland, everyone's favorite wild man in Sean Strickland because, well, you never know what he's going to say in an interview. Um, uh, the co-main event, man, is a really good matchup. Uh, Demir and, and Saruki, man, that, that's a really good matchup there. At 155 pounds, uh, mentioned by Julian Arosa, he's sick on Alex Aceris. He actually worked with Raul to prepare for this matchup because he wanted to get uh, – so he, so he went over there to the 10th Planet Gym there uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, Drew Doe or Bobby Green, that, that to me has got a matchup. Like, as I look up and down this card, by the way, I look at this fight card this week, I'm like, how is Manel Cop the second fight of the night? Dude, it kind of feels like when you look at the prelims, a lot of it is just thrown together. But when you look at how Manel has been in his last two fights, it's like, wow. But in addition to that, to me, like the fight that I'm looking forward to the most on those prelims is Saeed Nurmagomedov or Saeed Yokib Kakramanov. Uh, both those guys are really freaking good bantamweights. And yeah. honestly, from a pure talent level, that might be my third most interesting fight on this entire fight card. So, dude, that's a good fight. Jake Matthews, really talented welterweight going up there against Samuelsberger. Look, Cheyenne Vlismus. Uh, she's always entertaining to watch ever since she had that one fight uh, in, in, the, in the cage. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll follow you home, bitch. Yeah. You talking about great lines in MMA? That one's up there. That one's up there. Yeah, that is up there. But uh, how, uh, how, is she, how is she not made t-shirts with that? I don't know. Uh, she's leaving money on the table. I'm, I'm very interested to see who wins this lightweight co-main event. I mean, Demir is is Magulov and, and Armin Sarukian. It's a tough fight for Armin. It really is. I mean, they're doing him no favors coming off that loss to Gamrot to go in there against Demir. And, and neither is a household name, but they're exceptionally talented fighters. Yeah, I mean, I think overall this is not a bad fight night card. I mean, Dober Green, like you mentioned about top three fights, and like that, I, I would put the main event, co-main event, one-two as the best fights. But then like, I like what you're saying there about Saeed Yoko and Nurmagomedov. I, I like that's a good one up there. I would put Dober Green ahead of that one. Julian Arosa and Alex Sears. When I talked to Arosa, what really stuck out to me about our conversation, because it, you know, it, it, our conversation started off with me basically saying, man, how do you describe the last three years? 
you know, where you're talking about, you know, you're, you're cut from the UFC for the second time. And the reality is, for the most part, the odds of getting a third opportunity in the UFC are usually unlikely. But he gets back in the UFC, and now he's 5-1 and one in his last six matchups. And he kind of talked about this, this mindset change he's had of not trying to be that super exciting fighter, which I told him, I was like, Julian, I think people still look at you as an exciting fighter. You don't go out there. You know, you're, you're, you're putting on a fun fight. Like, you tell me Julian Rosa's fighting, I'm not expecting a boring fight. And it, it was interesting. He said that he, like this is a matchup he's wanted for some time. And when you think, I mean, it's it's a it's a clash of styles. Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, Alex Sayers wants to get that one, uh, you know, to the ground here. Um, you know, I'm interested to hear what the commentary sounds like during Julian Marquez and Duran win. I can't like I know we're not going to hear anything. Like I would say, there's a ninety percent chance. James Krause name. I think you got a better chance of hearing the Bellator word on a UFC broadcast at this point than hearing the word James Krause. Yeah, I think you're right. We're not going to hear that. I mean, I mean, you probably get fired on the spot. He probably will. I mean, you, you'll get worse news than Anthony Smith in his ear if you say James Krause's name. I mean, yeah, I think, uh, look, could we hear it on an Invicta card with Megan Anderson on the call? I mean, who knows, right? She, she might she might throw it out there. She doesn't carry it. Huh? Well, you talk about the worst stories. Like that, that's probably, like if you told James Krause, hey, the worst story is about uh, what Megan Anderson is saying about you, he'd probably take that right now. Yeah, he'd probably take that right now. Uh, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Dude, co I mean, main event time. Who who are you picking? Cannon or Strickland? Who's your pick, my man? So you got the power on one side with Cannon here. You got, you know, a very boxing style with Strickland. I go Cannon here. Why, why do I feel like Cannon here may, may try to utilize just an overall um, mixed martial arts game and just not sit there and have a boxing matchup with Sean Strickland? I, I give a slight edge to Cannon here, but not much. Yeah, I had something in my throat there. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, you look at the betting odds; it's literally even either way. Yeah. There's no plus money there. Um, I think I like Cannonier too. A lot of times when a guy gets knocked out brutally, that kind of that kind of becomes a trend, and he goes from the hardest hitter in middleweight to like a top five hardest hitter at middleweight, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. number two in Cannonier. I think overall, from a pure volume standpoint, Strickland's going to probably be able to outpoint Jared. So that's what makes me hesitant to pick against Strickland. But because it's a five-round fight and there's so much time for Jared to score a fight-ending finish, I'm going to also pick Cannonier to win. So congrats to Strickland on the victory, given that we both picked against him. So this will be one of those cards that um, I'll be able to watch probably uh, all of the prelims live, but uh, going to an ugly uh, Christmas sweater party. Uh, my friends put this on every year. Um, I will say this as I was uh, shopping online and I was like, oh, man, I don't know if any kids are going to be here. Some of these um, ugly Christmas sweaters are not kid appropriate. What did like, you see, bro? Like, for example, one is... Ask your mom if I'm real. Jesus. That is, yeah. That's how you get in a fight at the bar. Now, there was one I thought about getting. It was basically a sweater that has a game on it. You miss, you drink. 
Okay. But, I like but I that might one. just I just might want to chill and just have my own drink. I don't want people coming throwing some ball at, at my sweater to see if they got a drink or not. Yeah, I don't yeah. I, I wouldn't want to be a party game. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to find one that I saw that was um I like big bulbs. <laughs> I have a big package for you. I don't feel like that's kid you know, if, if kids happen to be at this party, I feel like that's not very appropriate. No, these are just the horniest sweaters I've ever heard in my um, like There's another one that says, I saw that you nasty with Santa's picture is, on it. What where were you shopping? It's called uh tipsyelves.com. You, you've never heard oh, of Tipsy geez. Elves? No. Yeah, they, I haven't it, heard of Tipsy Elves. Yeah, Tipsy Elves. This is like you, they're this is like kind of they make they make their money on like there's one more that I saw that I was like I was like, no way I could wear that. Um oh it was one, it was like it was a picture of Santa. It said, it said I do it for the ho ho hoes. <laughs> like, oh, I don't think that may not be appropriate. Yeah, yeah. You, everyone's gonna have all these like nice little ugly sweaters and you're gonna come in here with some innuendo. Well, here's also the other thing. I'm like, if it's not cold outside, ugh. Yeah. Then, then, like you got, like you have to have two different tires. One tire is like you can roll it with it on, but it might be hot. I mean, I live in Florida, bro. It might be hot. I might have to pull that thing off because usually those ugly sweaters, they're not exactly light. No, you can literally hear the sheep still batting when you wear it. It's so thick. It's it's crazy. Uh, I think you might need to get a sleeveless sweater. That might be the that might be the move. You know, look when you're in Florida and you're Texas. Those uh, ugly sweater parties hit different than if you live on the East Coast. Yeah. Oh, no, no doubt about it. But yeah, I mean, but I will say this overall, I am looking forward to UFC Vegas 66. I mean, it's crazy thing is after Saturday, our next UFC events, not till the middle of January. Yeah. So we're going to have, I mean, look, we also have that, you know, the life changing Bellator's rising card. That's going to be all hands on deck. I heard that ESPN's actually going to go live from uh, Japan and, and cover that one. Uh, so we have that to talk about, but I mean, look, we have a couple of weeks, so we maybe we'll dive into some fun little topics, some end of the year discussions. Uh, when you listen to this podcast, these next couple of weeks, you never know what you're going to get. Well, there is a topic that you brought to me that we want to get a little feedback from our listeners before we talk about this topic. That's right. My topic is this. Last week we talked about. Who's the fighter of the year? And, and one of the, the main points we, we came across was there wasn't a clear-cut answer. So my question is, which fighter in the history of this sport had the greatest year? What's the greatest season ever for a fighter? And, and that's my simple question, you know, and I will leave it to the listeners. You know, I'm looking at you, Michael Scott. I always see you on Twitter. Uh, I don't know if you're from the office or, or where. Side note, <laughs> when I used to work at a TV station, um, there was a person, his real name was Michael Scott. That was his real name because the office came out. He had to change his name to, uh, to, uh, Oh, wait a second. I screwed the story up. His name was Michael Scott. His name, his real name was Michael, like Iliopolis, a Greek name. So they changed his name to Michael Scott. Uh. That's what happens on TV. But this was before, the office came out. Mm. So, yeah, 
so now everyone's like, oh, Michael Scott. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a funny Michael Scott story. But shout out to Michael. He always is on Twitter mentioning us, and I wanted to give him some love because uh, it feels good to you know record the podcast and go on Twitter and, and see some comments. By the way, I finally did watch the Manti Teo doc. It's pretty crazy, Interesting. Huh? Weird how that documentary ended, though. Yeah. It was... Uh, I feel like the documentary was too sympathetic to... What was the name of the person who catfished him? I don't even remember. Um, Rowana, Rowan, or whatever her name was. Yeah. No, I I get what you're saying. It was just, to me, it was weird how that ended where it's just like Manti, you know, Manti saying, I forgive you. Yeah. And then I was like, because I remember you said it to me like, hey, man, this is going to end kind of weird. And then it ended like that. I was like, that's how we're ending it? Yeah, it felt when I watched the documentary, it was good, but it really felt like they really nailed the first half. And then they just like the second I, half. Yeah, I I felt like it dragged a little bit in the second episode. Like, I think it could have been probably a 90 minute documentary as opposed to two hours. And I think he would have gotten the key points. And I, I thought to me, one of the most interesting parts of that documentary was the nerd name athletic director talking about his, his version of that story and how he found out. And that to me was the most interesting part of it. The most interesting part of the documentary for me was Manti tail saying he's going to USC and he talked to this random dude in a room and he was like, Oh, I'm going to go to Notre Dame instead. It's like, bro, just say you got the bag. Can't, you can't, well, you can say it now. <laughs> you can say it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say it. Uh, speaking of getting the bag, are, is it time for you to commit to the University of Colorado? <laughs> I will be going to the Cheez-It Bowl, bro. I'm going. I'm going. My, my buddy Mike is a huge Oklahoma fan. His wife's an FSU fan. I'm an FSU fan. My wife, she's indifferent. She'll she'll be an FSU garb, and then um, two other uh, another couple is going with us. So yeah, we're going to the Cheez It Bowl, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's been a uh, I'm working the ReliQuest Bowl here, working the local radio broadcast, but uh, it has been a long time since I've like, gone to a bowl game as a fan. Yeah, Co- college football, going to a college game, and particularly if you go to a college game on campus. It's just so different. It is so, it's a different experience. Like I, I can't tell people like live in Florida, like go to, go to Tallahassee, go to Doak Campbell, go, go to swamp up in Gainesville. It's a different football experience. If you've never been, even if you don't have a favorite team, you got to go. I still, to this day, remember going to Kyle field and watching Texas A&M take on Alabama the year after Johnny Manziel beat them. Johnny Manziel was still on the team, but they lost to Bama. And I still remember the crowd. It's, uh, I mean, in College Station, it's literally a cult. But, uh, you know, you, you can't go wrong with any SEC school. You can't go wrong with most of the ACC schools, most of the Big 12 and the Big 10. And, you know, speaking of college football, you know, I went to Texas A&M for six weeks. But my college that I graduated from, UTRGV, University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, is finally getting a football program. And tomorrow I will be at the press conference with the uh, the new head coach. So the team starts saw, in a year and a half. So, yeah. I saw that. Is, uh, was it a high school coach that got the job? Yeah. He uh, he he coached. He was, he coached. Let's see. He coached in college like as, a, as an assistant co-offensive coordinator for UTSA and TCU. I want to say U of H. 
under Tony Levine. Then he went to Buffalo Bills to be an assistant, and then he went four years at a high school, and then he went two years at another high school, I think because his sons were playing, and so now he's back. So, look, um, he also has ties to our area, which mm-hmm. very few people that have had success in football have had ties. Our area isn't football heavy just because people aren't that big from where I'm from. We're, we're very Hispanic culture. Uh, we have really good soccer players, not so good football players. But, uh, you know, his dad was a, a pretty legendary coach in mm-hmm. Texas. He's in part of the RGV Sports Hall of Fame, his father, and he's married to a Rio Grande Valley resident. So it kind of, uh, you know, it kind of added up to the perfect hire. I mean, this is an FCS level school with aspirations to one day become FBS. So we shall see. I, I wish him success. It'd be great to see a, a good football program down here. Yeah, man, it's it's crazy. It's uh, when I was doing a restaurant marketing meeting, and we were kind of talking about you know sports days coming up this weekend, and you realize like I was like, oh, you know, we got the UFC on Saturday, and I was like, oh yeah, uh, college bowl season start. We got seven bowl games on Saturday. So as a sports fan, like you know, we could. I mean, this is like one of those weekends. If you're sitting at home on the couch on Saturday, like you got to figure out like. You know, you know, you put the UFC on the big screen. What, what, you know, you, you pulling out the uh, the iPad or you pulling out the the computer, or the phone to watch some of this college football. It's uh, and of course we got yeah, NFL on Saturday as well. UFC's got a lot of competition on Saturday for viewers. They do, man. If you're a sports fan too, the the fun continues. I mean, Sunday morning, the freaking final of the World Cup, and then it bleeds into the NFL on I'm, Fox. I'm just gonna be honest with you. Haven't paid attention to the World Cup since U.S. got eliminated. Just look, being honest. It's pre- look, it's pretty simple. All right. The final, it's going to be Messi's last chance to win a World Cup. Messi, supposed to be the greatest soccer player of all time, mm-hmm. has yet to win a World Cup. He has the chance. That's all you need to know, bro. That's all you need to know. Watch it. Enjoy it. He's going up against a France team who's just a juggernaut of a team. They have the current best player in the world. Pick a team, France, Argentina, and just watch okay. the footy. All right. Well, I guess, I guess, what time's your game at? What are my games at four thirty? I'll be at the stadium oh, yeah. by eleven thirty Eastern Eastern time. Yeah, someone will be streaming the game on their phone. Maybe they'll have it up on the big board. No, the it'll, no it'll probably be on the TVs and the press yeah. box. I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah, we, yeah, we're, we're yeah, we're the we're the CBS four thirty uh, game on Sunday, four thirty so Eastern time. What were you gonna say? I cut you off. I was going to say, what time's the game? Because oh. <laughs> like, if you told me the game was like 10 a.m., like, okay, I can catch most of the game. I don't know. Let me see. Uh, by the way, the U.S. soccer coach threw one of our best players under the bus. So the game is 10 Eastern. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. I can watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I guess, yeah. Uh, I saw the thing like, I guess Reyna wasn't, wasn't practicing hard enough or something or. Yeah. I think he was upset because crap. He said why he was upset and I don't even remember what made him upset, but it just seemed like he had a really bad relationship with the coach. And all I got to say is if you're the coach of the U S man's national team, get a good relationship with the best player on our team. That's all I got to say. Don't throw him under the bus a week after all I got to say is ladies and gentlemen, we need a new U S soccer coach. Well, that's from the Dana way handbook. That's true. That is from the Dana White handbook. <laughs> That's not from the Scott Coker handbook. Scott Coker handbook, you know, he, he's got to be talking great about you. You know, I saw, I did see Chris Cyborg. Um, she was doing her show with James Lynch and uh, basically once again saying, yeah, Don Davis has never called, contacted us, but yeah. he's making fight offers on Twitter. Yeah. It's, it's not how it works, Don. Not how it works. I, 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 I hear that and I'm just like, 
what world do we live in that ahead of a fight promotion is making offers on Twitter, but not in a true legitimate form? Like what world are we living in? It's it's a world where that fight's not going to get made on Twitter. That's the world we live in. Look, look, if the and Chris in her comment, she basically said, "Don Scott Coker knows how to do co-promotion events. Contact Scott Coker." Yeah, yeah. I I truly believe Scott would try to make the fight. I truly believe he would. Now, look, is he going to try to negotiate what's best terms for for Bellator? And you know his his promotion, of course, but I mean, I I think it's it's unfortunate. It's going to be a situation. I mean, as, as a fight fan, the fight we want to see, we may, we will likely never see happen. I I think you're right, but you know we won't get that one. But hey, sign me up for Harrison Pacheco four. I'll watch that one. Didn't think I would say it, but I will watch that one. That I'm excited now. Yeah, I I hope if you're a PFL, you put that thing on ESPN. Don't don't yeah. don't put that above a paywall. I mean, I would. I'm telling you, man, boy, would I love to know what is the real number that they drew for that pay per view. That would be okay. I'm more interested on the details of this betting scandal. God damn it! Number two, my most interesting thing is this sport may be how many PFL pay reviews were actually sold. That might think- be number two. I think those are the two things on our Christmas list. I don't know if you're listening, Santa Claus, but that's what Jason and Dan want. You know, by, by the way, I was at the um, I was at the mall the other day. You know, I did notice. You know, Santa was set up there taking pictures, but they had a big sign that you could not take a picture on your cell phone, which made me wonder. I wonder how much those pictures cost to get printed up. A whole hell of a lot of money. Santa's got to pay his child support. Like, are you a big Christmas movie guy? Not really. I don't. I don't partake in. I mean, they're fine, but I mean, I mean I look, look uh, like old school Home Alone was always a good one. Kind of love that one. Yeah, Bad Santa with Billy Bob Thornton. That's that's up there. Look, my favorite Christmas movie is probably Rocky. Okay. Okay. It happened during Christmas. All right. He fights Apollo during Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. <laughs> one of the best movies of all time. Number two is Die Hard. Okay. Uh, and then number three, I don't know what number three is in terms of actual Christmas movies. Uh, I like Elf. I'm pretty, I'm pretty partial to the Elf. I mean, that was one of the funniest movies of all time as a child. I, I just thought that was hilarious. I love me some Elf. Yeah, I, I will. I will not be home for for Christmas this year. So uh, we're playing on Christmas night in uh, in Glendale, Arizona. So. Uh, I'll be spending a Christmas weekend in Arizona. Hopefully the hotel bar's open. And when you get back, you'll be spending your time in the doghouse. Uh no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. She ain't she. No, we go to Orlando that Thursday for FSU Oklahoma. There you go. There you go. There's your there's your Christmas present. Hey, got your tickets to Florida State. I think it was more it was more along the lines of, hey, I got six tickets. <laughs> Two other couples are going. You're going. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was more along those lines. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, no fifth wheeling for Jason. No, no, that'd be a little weird. But yeah, it's uh, but yeah, hopefully, I mean, I'm just hoping it's not cold. And yeah. you know, us Floridians, cold is like fifty degrees. Yeah, yeah, cold is like sixty-seven. <laughs> North, northern people are hearing that, going, "Oh, you're you're a wimp." Yeah. Hey, but you know that's what we're accustomed to. But hey, we're used to the ninety-degree humidity, all that crap. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's actually been pretty nice here in Tampa. It's been pretty nice. Hasn't been. Uh, we had a couple of days in the eighties, but it's been like in the you know low eighties, high seventies. So it's actually been pretty nice. I think we're actually supposed to have some type of cold front coming in through here next couple of days. So I, I always you know I enjoy it for a couple of days. Then I'm like, give me back my son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nice little two day experience. But come on. Yeah, that was uh, yeah that was in San Jose last Friday and Saturday. It was raining the whole time. That wasn't exactly fun. No, not not at all. You know, walk walk into uh, you know various establishments to have a you know as you like to say a daddy soda yeah yeah chances are if there's a daddy soda around uh, daddy jason's gonna find it let's just say we were at a we were having lunch on saturday at this place and uh so there was uh six of us and you know we're like oh you know i'll get stella she's like oh do you want it as a I think she says 16 ounce, 25, 32. You want a pitcher? I go, I just bring two pitchers. <laughs> and she, she looks at us, go, I'm like, literally the one pitcher is going to give us all beers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. It, been, it, it, it had been a while since I had a pitcher of beer. It been, been a long time. The college days. Uh, I would, uh post college days, but you know what? You, Look, I'm I'm a Stella drinker. That's just not something you really hear about. Hey, we're doing a uh, a special of uh, Stella. You know, I mean, you get in the chalice and you know you're paying six seven bucks for that beer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hey, yeah. you know, I'm a. Uh, I, I think my favorite one is probably cold cold beer. That's what I'll buy. <laughs> Are you that guy that goes whatever's on special? No, I, I'm usually a Blue Moon Budweiser type of fella. Or I just look for a beer I haven't tried before, and I try it. I, I oh, like experimenting you, you're, when you're, I go to a place. You're very young to be drinking Budweiser. Very young. I just I don't know why I like it. I think it just uh, well, it gets the job done. Well, I mean, you, you get that Modelo and that fighting spirit inside you. That's what you need to do. Yeah, I, I'm not a shill. You're not season. you're you're not a Modelo Corona type guy. Uh, they're fine, but it's not my cup of tea. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. 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 By the way, did. I'll, I'll end on this. Did find a very weird place in San Jose. It was okay. weird for one reason and one reason only. It was cash only. Wow! Didn't know you traveled back to 1940. We were we were walking. We were you know we were we were finding some various places. We found this arcade bar. It's like bar next. So we walk in, and we thought they might have darts. And uh, they had a pool table, and then um, you know we, we belly up to the bar to get a drink, and the guy's like, "Yeah, it's cash only." I go, "Huh? <laughs> what? I had I cash know. on. I had cash on me, thankfully. Well, well, my buddies didn't have cash on me. They had an ATM right there, but I was like, "Wow, they must have a, They must get a cut from that ATM." Because there it, is, probably, I mean, it probably is their ATM. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they probably own yeah. it. But yeah, yeah, I saw that. I was like, "Wow, that is something I have not seen in a long time." Yeah, I mean, very few people nowadays carry significant well, cash. I think, think about anytime you go to a stadium, most of these stadiums are, are are cashless stadiums. Yeah, yeah, it's the way of the future. You know, I I, not, I, I rarely carry cash on me. Rarely, rarely have cash on me. I got some emergency cash, but I mean, that's just me 
I hardly ever use it. I mean, I probably have the same $20 bills that I started the year off with that I ended with. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, sometimes you never know. You might just need a little bit of cash there, but uh, we do appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the M airport podcast. Of course, check it out on all the podcasting platforms. Also on YouTube at the M airport YouTube channel. So we appreciate you tuning in for this episode of the M airport podcast, and we will talk to you next week.